<coughs> it's my first sermon of the year, so yeah. It is. I assure you it is. <laughs> if you'd like to turn to John chapter 11, and uh, my subject today, that's got you thinking already, isn't it? My subject today is Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. This is, if you're sitting there thinking, uh, you know, some of these things, they're, they're very interesting, all the rest of it. This one really ought to make you want to shout, praise, and worship afterwards. Because all the others are good. Don't get me wrong. They're all good. But this, this is everything to us. With no resurrection, we have no hope. So this is everything. So... Let's hope we can do some justice to it. John chapter 11 and from verse 17. I'm just going to read to verse 27. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. I want to keep your finger in there because we're going to read on in a little bit. Lazarus is dead and buried in a tomb bound up, sealed, and he is going to start to decay. That is the normal run of things. That's the expectation. The four people in focus in this passage are Lazarus, Martha, Mary, and Jesus. And I'm going to ask four questions of those four people. And at the same time, we will be asking ourselves the same questions. Now, we're looking, whilst we're also listening for revelation and inspiration. If you go out of here thinking that was interesting, then we haven't done enough. It needs to inspire us to live the life. It needs to cause us to want to glorify God in all that we do. So it's got to do more than just be interesting. So that's (laughs) some pressure on me, I guess. But actually, you have to listen with a heart to hear God's Spirit speaking. So just be doing that now. Just be asking the Spirit, help me. The first question is, where is your focus? Well, Lazarus is dead. He doesn't have any focus. It's a normal comprehension that the dead see nothing and say nothing. So we can move on from him. Mary, we've already found out, is at home. She'll be grieving. She stayed at home. She's grieving. Her brother is dead. 
she's grieving. We can't say any more about that at the moment. Now Martha, her focus is on the concerns of life. Now very often this gets interpreted that she's coming out and exerting faith. She believes that Jesus can do something about it. And that this is about her faith. And it isn't. That's not what this is about. Her brother is dead. He was the leader and provider of the household. No parents are mentioned, only these three all together. And I think from that we can assume that actually they lived together and he was the head of the household. With him gone, it'll be a significant factor for for the girls that are left behind. Martha goes out to meet Jesus, but don't be fooled into thinking her focus is on Jesus. It isn't. Her focus is on the outcome. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Her focus is on, actually, if you'd been here, he would still be here. She wants everything to be all right. She's trying to solve it. If you'd been here, we wouldn't have any of this. Her new focus now that Lazarus has died, if that anyone can do anything about it, Jesus is that person. But if only he'd been here before, this wouldn't have happened. Now I don't know how many of you, and probably uh, most of you I imagine, have known somebody close to you die. But with the best will in the world, you cannot do anything about it. But you do want them back. You want them back. That's normal. And you would almost do anything you could to get them back. And that's her focus. She wants Lazarus back. If you had been here, we wouldn't be suffering like this. He would be here with us. She is seeing Jesus as a means to an end. And that's why I want to bring this up. She's seeing Jesus as a means to an end. And he's so much more than that. We need to honour Jesus for who he is. Not all that he does for us, but who he is. There is confidence here in Jesus, but to do what she hopes for, rather than necessarily what is his will. And you'll see that through the gospel sometimes. People are looking for Jesus to fulfil their hopes, not his will. She is focused on her concerns. If you had been here, my brother would still be alive. Now Jesus focuses on her reality. First of all, Jesus focuses pastoral. Verse 19. Exactly. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. That's why Jesus is coming. To console them. They're suffering grief. And we suffer grief in different ways, I dare say. But actually, what we need is people to console us. Sometimes in a funeral, one of the things we want about a funeral is that we want people to tell the stories of that person. Because it brings them back into focus for us. So here there's some consoling. Now last week, we had uh, Sam talking on Jesus the Good Shepherd. Here, it's in practice. That's exactly what Jesus is doing. He is being the good shepherd to them. 
He's caring for them. He's concerned for them. He wants to be with them. Now Jesus tells Martha a truth. Your brother will rise again. How does Jesus know that? Because he knows Lazarus. He knows where Lazarus' faith and confidence is. He had a relationship with Lazarus. Not presently, not today, but in due time, in the end time, he will rise again. That's one of the reasons why we can grieve and move on when we know believers have died, because we will see them again. We know they will rise in due time. Martha affirms her confidence that this is true. It is true. I know my brother will rise again. So she can affirm the truth. But now we get to the nitty gritty. It's one thing to believe the dead will rise again, but it's quite another to know who the power is to achieve it. And Jesus is going to draw the attention to who he actually is. It's not about what Jesus can do. It's about who he is. His very being. He now states not what he can do, but who he is. I am the resurrection and the life. That's who he is. We can sometimes focus on the what it is that it will mean for us. But Jesus is rising from the dead because of who he is. He has life in himself. When he touches people, they get better. They live. Because he has it in himself. And we can think, oh, if only Jesus had been here, he would be alive. But Jesus is life. We need to get our focus always off the, on the outcome. We're just worried about the outcomes. Does Jesus answer my prayer? Well, maybe, sometimes. Not all the time. Do you know who he is? When you get to the other life, Jesus is going to say to you, did you know me? Some will say we did healings. Some will say we had power. Some will say, didn't we preach the gospel in your name? And Jesus will say to them, go away. I did not know you. This is about knowing who Jesus is. Not on what he does all the time. He is the living epitome of the resurrection and the life. He is saying for your brother to rise again and live, he must do so through me. He must come through me. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He has it inherently within himself. Now, you can see it a little bit more clearly by stating a truth about yourself and then compare it with Jesus' statement here. So if you were to think, what might I say about myself? I wonder what you would say. I could tell you that I am grumpy. Not right now, but if you don't like this, I might get grumpy. Moody, I can be questioning, I could be a thinker, I could be an observer, but Jesus has something that affects everything. I could just affect a few people around me. It's different in type. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Even if I pick the best trait that I think I have, it isn't even in the same league 
as what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. It's in his being. I would say that perhaps my best trait is I persevere. I never give up. But why? Why persevere and never give up? To reach the prize. The prize of rising again and living. How do I gain that? Through Jesus. You see, I can't do without him. He wants me to persevere, and that might be a good trait, but I still need Jesus at the core of it. He has the resurrection. I don't. Do you see how much greater Jesus is than us? That's what causes us to praise and worship. Because he's greater than we are. And not just a bit greater. It's not like he's just a bit better. And Jesus is better by a total other degree. He's perfect. How quickly in your life did you become imperfect? How quickly did you get told off? Today. <laughs> well, I wasn't thinking about today, but nevertheless. <laughs> How quickly we get told off in our life. I'll tell this story of when I went to secondary school. I had a detention within three days of being there because I didn't do my homework. And from then on, I had detentions more or less most weeks. Till I got to my fifth year, when I had so many detentions, I had to decide which ones to go to. <laughs> you see, we can, we're, we're already in trouble. When we're born, you have a propensity towards sinning, but it doesn't take you, nobody trained you to sin, did they? Now, it is difficult to imagine that Eva is a sinner. It is. I guarantee you, she is going to sin against you. She really has. <laughs> Uh-oh, Eva, you've just been dubbed in. <laughs> you see, we need help. We need to recognise who we are, recognise who Jesus actually is, the power and the greatness and the majesty of who he is, to recognise just how much we must get a hold of him. He's the resurrection. If you're not, you really, you should be interrupting the sermon with praise and worship here. Because this should really capture our hearts, our minds, everything. This is everything to us. But our focus can very often be on what Jesus does for us. He got me this job. He got me this house. He got me this parking space. These are all good things in their way. Just don't get me started on them. But, but recognise who he is. He's not a means to an end. He's a person to love, to worship, to honour. Sometimes we can lose that. Because we're always looking for, what's Jesus doing for me? What do I need next? What do I want what do I hope for? What about who he is? So the second question, after where is your focus, is what can you do? Lazarus is dead. The dead are hardly ever accused of overwork. So we can move on from him. He's not doing anything. Mary is grieving, and there's nothing wrong with that here. She's grieving. Her brother's died. What would you expect? 
That's reasonable. Martha, she can complain. If you had been here, and we can't read tone into this, so I can't tell you whether she was complaining, but I can suggest it's a possibility. If you had been here, she can be frustrated. Even now, if you do something, he'll rise up. She can mourn. My brother is dead. None of these things in themselves achieves anything much. Mourning, perhaps, achieves a dealing with her emotions. She's emotional about it. That's right. And mourning allows you to deal with the emotions of grief. But Jesus, he can indeed raise the dead and give them life. But you'll notice that he does not do so in any immediate way. He took his time getting to Bethany in the first place, if you read before it. He could have got there quicker, but he doesn't do so. Jesus is not there to fulfil our wishful thinking. Jesus is there to grieve because he knew Lazarus as a friend, to comfort the sisters and those who are grieving, and to reveal who he is. Now I've heard many times over the years, let's pray for them to believe and become Christians. People don't get saved by prayer. That's going to be making some of you frazzle. People don't get saved by prayer. They get saved by hearing. Romans 10, verses 14 and 15. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. If you want people to be saved, speak to them. Tell them. Explain to them. Persuade them. Tell them the truth about Jesus. By all means, pray for them. But Paul says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for them that they may be saved. So you can pray for them to be saved. So I did the stark statement to get you to think. But you must also speak. It is wishful thinking to pray for people to get saved alone. You must speak. Because people get saved by hearing. Faith comes by hearing. What can you do? You can trust in God who is good. Sam expressed that last week. God is good. Good is a word that doesn't really feel like it's got much power to us. But when it's used in the scriptures, it's nearly all, especially with Jesus, it's nearly always correlated with only God is good. If Jesus is good, then he must be God. So we can trust in God who is good. And obedience. You need to do what is instructed. If God said to you, spit on the ground, mix it up in the mud and wipe it in somebody's eyes, would you do it? How many of you have heard Jesus say that to you? And yet he does say it to somebody in the Bible. 
I'm just saying. Maybe we're not hearing. Now, I don't encourage you to start spitting in the mud <laughs> and wiping it on people. You need to know that it's been said to you. But prayer is not an excuse for fear. Prayer does not replace I speak. Okay? Prayer does not replace I speak. I don't pray for the lost and not speak to them. If I pray for the lost, I also speak to them. If I pray for healing, I also go and lay hands on them. I've heard plenty of people say we must pray for compassion. But compassion doesn't come through prayer. It comes through seeing. Jesus saw the crowds and had compassion on them. You want compassion? Go and have a look. I think you'll find when you see the news reports of people in abject poverty, it moves your heart. Why? Because you can see it. Compassion comes from seeing. You will not get it through prayer. You must go. Do you understand? There is this relationship with the Lord and horizontally we go out into the world to impact it. There's no need or any place for passivity. But we can be like that because we're always waiting for Jesus to do something for us. Jesus has already done everything for us. He is everything to us. How can we not speak about him? So question three, what's your response? Well, Lazarus, as you know, is dead and in the tomb. You'll be not at all surprised. He doesn't do anything. He's like this. Only wrapped up. Martha affirms her faith in verse 27. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. She affirms her faith. That was Jesus' goal, to affirm her faith with her. Sometimes that's what we need to do, especially in the midst of grieving. You need to remember who Jesus is to you. What does Jesus do in response to Martha's affirmation? Let's have a look, shall we? From verse 28. When Martha had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come also with her uh, were also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Jesus makes his response to Mary's heart. You'll notice that exactly the same words that Martha used, Mary uses. And yet the response from Jesus is totally different. Why? 
Well, because Jesus is making a response to Mary's heart, which is expressed through she fell at his feet. She is honouring to him. She honours him first. She's not coming with her question. She's coming to honour him. You're the Lord. She says the same thing, but her focus somehow is different. She is weeping. Nothing here about Martha weeping. And we've got to be careful we don't end up thinking Martha is always the bad woman. But she is the contrast here. Jesus responds to us out of relationship to the heart. Not pleading on the basis of our knowledge about him. If you had been here, Lord, he would still be here. Based on the fact that you're a powerful saviour. Mary bows before him, honours him, weeps, and says, Lord, if you had been here. And Jesus responds to her heart. This is about honouring the, the Lord. Jesus is interested in the heart of the matter, not the head of the matter. Jesus does not get Mary to affirm anything. Because he knows where she is. She has accepted his will even though it causes grief. There's a difference between the two. One has accepted his will, the other is struggling with it. Mary has moved the heart of Jesus. Now let's just read to the outcome. John 11 from verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odour for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face unwrapped with a, uh, wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Now, a number of things about this text you might want to ask questions. Um, Lazarus, who had his hands and his feet bound with linen, manages to get out of the tomb. You've got to wonder how. <laughs> that was fun to see, I have no doubt. <laughs> but Lazarus, who's mostly dead, but after being raised up, he's worried about getting his bindings off. That's not unreasonable. That's his focus right there and then. Because the fourth question <clears throat> is the same as the first question. Where's your focus? Martha... <coughs> Well, you know, first of all, her concern is if we get the body out of the tomb, it's going to smell. That's her first concern. It's practical. It's on the, the, the way things seem to be. Mary, I think Mary's just watching. Nothing's said about her in this bit. But she will go on to anoint the feet of the Lord. 
in, in the next chapter. And I think it tells you something about how she understands who Jesus is. She recognises he is so much greater, so much more worthy than anybody else. Jesus is on uh, looking to glorify the Father as always, um, and also on just declaring the truth. Father, I thank you, you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. You see, these things are said and done so that people will believe in Jesus. Because Jesus is the one saviour for humanity. There is no other. No one else can rise from the dead. No one else can raise the dead. The thing about Jesus' story ultimately focuses around his resurrection. That with the best will in the world, no one ever found Jesus' dead body. No one ever found him in a tomb. No one found his skeleton. Do you know why? Because he's risen from the dead. He lives forever. And because he lives, we live. So Martha has focused on the problem. Mary has focused on her grief and then upon Jesus. Jesus wept because he loved Lazarus. But Jesus not only says that he's the resurrection and the life, he performs it also. But not because he's persuaded by someone's argument, not because he's persuaded by guilt, not because he's a means to an end, but because he is the resurrection and the life. It's evidence, physical evidence given to show who he is. We should not be amazed that Lazarus is walking around. We should be amazed at the person who raised Lazarus from the dead. He's not persuaded by argument or guilt or wishful thinking, but by honest relationship, focused on who Jesus is rather than what he can do for us. We must be a people who are caught up in wonder, love and praise. Because Jesus is worthy. He's worthy. Now we can sing it. But you know who knows your heart. This is about the heart of the matter. Next Sunday, when you've got your Easter eggs and what have you. Don't forget, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And we ought to honour him with everything in us. Because there's no one ever like him. Shall we pray? Jesus, I thank you that you have risen from the dead yourself and you're able to raise others. I thank you, Lord, it's part of our promise that you who were dead and raised from the dead raise us together with you. Because of you, we're able to live. What an amazing saviour you are. Lord, let us not forget it. Let us not focus on what our issues and our concerns are, but rather focus on who you are. For you are wonderful. Truly wonderful. 
And we praise you, Lord. Now, as we come to worship, Lord, I pray that we would honour you with our lips, with our hearts, with everything in us, that you, uh, Lord, may be truly glorified and honoured amongst us this morning. Because you are the resurrection and the life. You are. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. 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 Well, it's time for us to worship again, I believe.